0: We have appreciated very much and still appreciate all your support all those years. We were 26 years in Mozambique and two years in Kenya. My wife was with me 20 of those years. I met her on the mission field. I was there eight years before uh, I got married. It was my intention to go all the way single, like the Apostle Paul. (laughs) I made it to the age of 45 then I felt I better get married. (laughs) So now I have teenagers and I find the gap between myself and my teenagers is very large. (laughs) How it was when I grew up is a lot different than today when they're growing up and my brain can't seem to comprehend it and uh, it's kind of a struggle for us raising the teenagers. I loved it when they were little guys Life was a blast. I just had so much fun. But when they became teenagers, (laughs) I just am struggling with it to uh, comprehend how they think, especially coming back from the mission field into our present-day America. Oftentimes I say, I left for the Dark Continent 28 years ago, and now I have come back to the Dark Continent. Things have changed so much in America. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your Holy Spirit. We thank You for our hearts. We thank You that everything that's needed to make us more like Christ is here. We pray that You'll do that. We pray, Heavenly Father, that You'll speak to us in our intimate parts. Pray, Heavenly Father, that by Your Word and through Your Spirit, Lord, that you will have an effect on our mind and conscience and on our personalities and in our characters that we would be moved by the Word of God to being more like Jesus Christ. Help us in our deficiencies, Lord. Give us wisdom as we are not wise. but We call upon a wise God for help. Guide me as I speak and guide us as we listen. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read several passages, some of which have been read earlier. I'm going to read uh, John 4:22, "The Woman at the Well." Jesus said to the woman at the well, Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship. This lady had had five husbands, and the one she had now was not her husband. And Jesus said to her, Ye worship, ye know not what. You don't know what you worship. You don't know what you believe in. You've already had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What do you believe in? What do you worship? But we know what we worship. Salvation is of the Jews. We know. We've been catechized, we've been taught, we've learned from the Word of God, we've learned the Scriptures, and so we know what we worship. As the world goes, they don't know about God, nor what they worship, nor the truth, in recent times. People who claim to be Christians, who are in high places, have negated the word of God and say, well now I believe that we can redefine marriage. Do they really know what they believe in? I don't know how the Clintons could be Baptists and take that name and then change their stance on the definition of marriage. Do they know what they believe? Do they know what they worship? The Boy Scouts, many others in the line, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what they believe in. They don't know what they worship. I don't think they even care. But Jesus said, we know salvation is of the Jews. Salvation is Jesus Christ. The Christian has been taught, and he should know. Children should know the Bible so that they can say, we know what we worship. We know Jesus. We know in whom we we believe. In Mark chapter 10, verse 13 to 16, it says this, And they brought young children to him, that he should touch them. Mark 10, 13. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased, and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. Jesus said, let the little ones come unto me. When he said that, he was not happy. That they interfered. The term is righteous indignation. Jesus was angry about it. He said, let those children come unto me. Let them come. Don't impede them. Don't stop them. Don't interfere. But let the children come unto me. He was upset that they were getting in the way. Of these little ones coming unto him. And the Lord said. Don't offend these little ones. And he said don't despise these little ones. In Matthew. And he said also in Matthew. It's not the will of your heavenly father. That any of these little ones should perish. But many of them grow up. And they perish. Why? Why? Because the adults, the parents, don't let them come to Jesus. They let them come to the television. They let them go to the show. They let them go to the internet. They let them go where they let them go. But they don't bring them to the church. They don't bring them to the Bible. They don't bring them to the word of God. When Jesus is saying, let these little ones come unto me. Don't block their way. Don't hinder their path. Don't obstruct them from coming to me. Don't impede them on their way. Let them come unto me. Bring them unto me. The attitude of Jesus. There weren't too many times when he got righteous indignation. But he did at this. He was angry about this. It's not the will of our Heavenly Father that any of these little ones should perish, it says in Matthew. But most of them do. They grow up. They learn from the world. They learn from society. They get inundated with the word of the devil. And they never come to the Lord. We have what we call a WANA at our church. We go out to a trailer park, pick them up, and bring them in. Some parents don't want their kids to go. Well, perhaps they don't know us very well, but some do know us good enough. And they still don't want their kids to go. The kids, they want to come. but the parents don't want them to go. Some of them are indignant. Some of them are angry. They close the door in our faces. They don't want us. They don't want them to learn the Word of God. But you know the children, they want to come. (laughs) Praise God for the little kids. The little guys, they want to come, and they want to learn the Word of God. What a tremendous thing. And the Lord said... Better for that man who would offend one of these little ones if he had a millstone tied around his neck and he was cast into the sea. Boy, there are a lot of people in that position today. Bring them. How do we bring them to Jesus today? Well, bring them to the Bible. So I was asked to speak about the Bible and the children. The Bible... And the children should be intimately related. I want to turn for a moment to Deuteronomy 6 6 through 9. Deuteronomy 6 chapter 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 6 through verse 9. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt walk, shall talk of them when you sittest down thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house, and on the gates. What a detailed description of teaching your children. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, intimately unto thy children. Thou shalt write them down, as it were, write it in their hearts. When you rise up, when you sit down, when you walk along the way, when you talk with your children, Teach them the word of God. Have devotional times with them. But not just that. But in your everyday acts. When you walk. When you talk. Let them know what's on your heart. And on your tongue. In your mind. What makes you tick. What you believe in. Let the children know who you are in Christ. The Word, the Bible, teach them diligently. These words, these words which I command shall be in your heart first, in your own intimate being, then in your children's heart. Teaching it unto them. Your children are learning many things. Today is different than any other time. We have the prince of power on the air. The prince of power of the air, on the air. I suppose that term given in the New Testament of the devil didn't take on the connotation that it has today because of electronics. He was called the prince of power of the air, and he is an angel. He flies. He is a spirit. He doesn't use a car to motivate himself, to transport himself. But he can fly that way. He's of the air. But also, I think electronically, I can apply this today. Remember when they used to come on TV before, and they showed the behind the scenes sometimes, how they do it? And a man would come and he'd click this thing and he'd say, you're on the air. That's how it is with the devil. He's on the air. And he's coming in through the eye gate and the ear gate. We have today videos and television and all those things. And they're a great attraction to our children and if you set that before them, they're fixed on it. I can remember when TV came out in the 1950s, but it was so long ago, that I can hardly remember that when it first happened. So it rehappened again in my life in Mozambique. When I went over there, there was no TV. For years, 15 years or so, there was no TV. And we explained, they heard about it. Really, you can see a person on a, He's not here in front of you. He's someplace out. Yeah, he's someplace out. Way, away. away. Could be hundreds of miles, thousands of miles away. And he comes on this screen, and you can see him, yes. And you can hear him, yes. Really. They were amazed, this whole idea. And I had to relive it. <laughs> I got to relive TV. How about that? <laughs> so this thing came, eventually came. And you should have saw, you should have seen the kids in particular, adults too, but there would be a house that had a television. And boy, there would be people on the veranda of that house out in the front yard and they'd be taking turns to get to the door, to look in the window. Look at that thing, man, look, there's a person on there, he's saying something. And there's music, and there are crowds coming to watch the TV. And when you watch these people, particularly the kids, they were like this, they were fixed, they were riveted, they were welded, I mean if a bomb went off, I don't think they would have noticed it, <laughs> I often wished in church the children and the adults too were like that on me, looking, looking at the preacher and really concentrating on the word, wow, every word hanging on to it, what's the next thing coming up, well I'm waiting for it give it to me. That's how it is watching television. They love it with their mind, their heart, their body, and their soul, and all their strengths. Just like we should love the first commandment. That's how they love videos. That's how they love TV. It's a God. There it is. I went out in the bush in Mozambique. Two different kind of worlds in Africa. If you're in the city, they have buildings and it almost looks like a city here, but it's all dilapidated. But you know, the imperial powers of Europe built the cities there. So it looks like that. But you go out in the bush, it's mud huts. Very crude, like it looked 4,000 years ago. It looks the same. So I was out there doing a campaign, preaching, and there was at this mud hut alongside with a lot of people. And I said to the pastor, I said, What's going on over there in that mud hut? He said, Oh, this guy there has got a video machine. What? Got a video machine. How's he get it running? He's got that generator. See the generator there? Really? And all these people are paying to get in there to watch the videos. And he's got really ranky bad stuff. Really? Yes, way out here in Oboe, in the middle of no place, we've got this guy showing videos that came from Hollywood in the United States of America. And they're paying to get in and watch this sleazy, rotten stuff. What are the kids learning? They're learning how to kill, how to steal, and how to destroy. Because the author wrote it, and his name is the destroyer. He's the devil. The Bible and the children. That's what they need. Not all that's coming across into their minds today, obviously. Did you know that there are countries that have conferences of spiritists and witch doctors? I was amazed to learn that. This guy told me in my country annually They will have a conference. All the witch doctors and spiritists will come together in a big hall, like Kobo Hall or something, you know, a big arena, (laughs) and they get together and they talk about voodooism and spiritism and witchcraft and evil. And he said, You don't mention Jesus in that place, they don't mention it. And he said, In that meeting, in one of the meetings, they take up a topic. And one of the subjects was videos. And they said, we need more videos. We need more of these things to put in houses. We need more rotten, it's trashy stuff. They have conferences about this. Like we're having a Bible conference here. They have conferences about evil, about witchcraft, about sin, about the devil. Wow. I never even imagined it. All these evil guys going to this conference. You know, they get there on airplanes and taxis, just like we come here, however you transfer. These are all like demon people. Wow. It's there. (laughs) What a thing. And so, I struggle right now with my teenage children. You know, you can't do anything nowadays without computers, I guess. I'm not a computer person. As you may well know, if you've written me, I probably didn't write you back. (laughs) I generally don't know what I'm doing with computers. (laughs) By the time I find it, it's time to go someplace else. I don't have time for the thing. Every time I try to do something on it, it wants to do something else. And I say to my wife, I'm tired of this thing. You handle the computer. And uh, so, sorry if I haven't written you, but I probably haven't found you yet. Um, but this device has to be had in school so our kids have computers I guess you cannot go to school today without computers, I don't know but they have to have this, this computer and they do all the stuff and what else comes on the computer that's the problem and how do I filter it all you can't get you can't get a filter that cannot be gotten around and then even if you do that then they've got some kind of a dumb phone or a smartphone or whatever you want to call it. And they pick something up on that. And if they don't do it at home, they can do it as they go by the McDonald's. I'll tell you, it's different. And I am struggling with it. And I have taught them the Bible when they were young. Praise God. One thing I wish I would have done is had them memorize verses. Really put it in their heart. But I didn't do that very much. I think that was a big mistake. We read. They heard many, many times, many times. But I think it's better if they memorize. Because as we do the Awana, we have memorized. And those kids, it brightens up something in their mind. And they had Awana too, so they did some memorizing. Putting the word in their heart. These things they could win. They're seeds. The word of God is called a seed because it's got life in it. And it will produce when it's planted in good soil. But I found that the word of the devil is a seed too. When it's planted, it's producing. It will have an effect of fruits of its own. Every seed produces after its own kind. If you're going to plant tomatoes, you're not going to get potatoes. If you're going to plant corn, you're not going to get beans. It never works. It doesn't work that way. You reap what you sow. And what's being planted in the hearts and minds of young people today is producing evil, wickedness. Jesus said, the light of the body is the eye. If the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? You know that verse is a real pondering verse. What in the world is Jesus saying? The light of the body is the eye. I never thought about that until I read Jesus saying it, you know, when I was a non-believer. I never thought of that, but when I read the Bible the first time, that struck me. The light of the body is the eye. Yeah, the light of the body is, yeah, Jesus said so. But if the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. Boy, I really had to think about that. What do you mean, Lord? Here's what he means. And it's happening all around us today. People... Young people, older people, teenagers are susceptible very much. They're going into things that are evil. And they think it's okay. To them it's light. Oh yeah, we can watch that show. Oh, it's no problem. We can go there. We can listen to that music. Everybody's doing it. They plod along into what they think is the light, and they're going deeper and deeper into the darkness. And Jesus is saying, if the light, that light, what you think is light, that is in thee, is darkness, how deep are you going to go into that darkness, thinking it's light? People today, are going so deep into the darkness that they're in a black hole. But they think it's light. Sure, a man can marry a man. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with it? What's right with it? How deep into the darkness are you going to get? Can't you see? How deep is that? The word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word brings them to Jesus. Teach these words diligently unto your children. Begin early. Form them early. You teach them as a parent. God's word. You remember that phrase, in phrase, his mother's name was, in the Old Testament. And his mother's name was, thousands of years ago. His mother's name was, his mother's name, that king's mother's name was this. And that king, his mother's name was that. What do we care about that anyway? Because he had a mother, that's why. And what that king was doing was greatly the effects of his mother. What, he, what she taught him at home when he was a kid. Now he's running the nation, which is affecting everybody in the land. What his mother taught him is affecting the policies of the government today. Affecting what you're doing with your life and what you are paying your taxes into. And what's going to happen to the church. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. A household founded in practicing the word of Christ at home. The Bible gives clear instruction. There's this verse, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. It can be a perplexing verse. Certainly don't train up a child in the way he should not go, because when he is old he's not going to depart from it either. Teach him, educate him, discipline him, inform him, construct him, edify him, make him, create him, develop him in the way he should go. So that when he is old, he doesn't depart from it. Found it very interesting when I was learning the language Portuguese. They don't say, raise your children. We don't raise our children. They say it like this we create our children. That struck me. You create your children. Really? Yeah, how would you interpret that in English? Well, literally, you would say we create our children, but we say we raise our children. You raise your children? Oh. Well, we say we create our children. I had to think about that. But you know, there's a a truth in there. You create your children in the way you raise them up, in the word of God. I mean, you have... A vital input that will make that child develop into what he will be by the grace of God, by the word of God, or by the disgrace of the devil and by the work of the devil. And by your hand, not restraining him from evil. Who is teaching him? What are they learning? If you give them freedom, the devil loves it. If they're given too much freedom. The devil has plans for children, and he starts early. He works hard to gain them, to train them, to turn them in a bent way early so they grow crooked. He plants his seeds. I think that television is a tremendous seed-planting device, awful seeds. The tares are the children of the wicked one, and the enemy sowed them. That sowed them as the devil. And he sowed them while men slept. While men were not paying attention. While men were indifferent, apathetic. He came along and he planted his seeds. The devil can plant tares in your house when you're asleep and unawares. And they germinate. He can plant seeds singing the devil can and he does it says in ezekiel 28:13 thou hast been in the eden and thou hast been in eden the garden of god every precious stone was thy covering the sardis the topaz diamond the beryl the onyx the jasper sapphire emerald carbuncle gold and the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created Music is part of Satan. And he's the, the deceiver of the whole world. You think he's not going to use mu- music? Music sets the tone. And he uses it to deceive. He plants seeds singing. There was somebody that had a song. It was called Bad. And all the kids by the thousands came and pointed to him and said, Good, good, good song. He's singing bad, bad, bad. Oh, good. What a great deceiver. Even in church, you know, some of the music, some of the music, you can listen to it in these contemporary churches. Not that I go there, but I have heard it. And you say, well, where's Jesus in this song? He's in there just listening. Oh, yeah, I heard him. Where is he, though? He's way on the bottom, below all this rhythm, rhythm, below all the beat and all the melody and all the sounds of the high voices. I heard the name of the Lord in there. He's supposed to be high and lifted up, but he's low and beaten down. The music's on top. Well, that's the the service everybody comes to, the contemporary service. The traditional service hardly has anybody there. Take away the Bible, they don't care very much, but take away the music and we're not going. The Word, the Bible. Now, I want to talk about inserting the Word of God into the mind and heart of the young people. John 6.53. Jesus said this in John 6.53. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Everybody was shocked when Jesus said this, even his own disciples. I would imagine that his 12 disciples in the group there probably had some men alongside them that were looking at them, I don't know, and thinking, is, are you the disciple of this guy? Who can hear this? What is he saying? This is grotesque. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life. In you. A vital thing for all of us. Children. You and me. To understand what the Lord Jesus here was saying, we have to understand that man is basically two parts. I know he's a trichotomy I mean, I believe he has body, soul, and spirit, but soul and spirit are both spirit. He's basically flesh and he's spirit. He's two basic parts. And Jesus said, the words I speak unto you are spirit and they are life. He was talking spiritually. He wasn't talking physically. He didn't want them to attack him, cannibalize him. It wouldn't make any sense. (laughs) He was speaking spiritually. The words I speak unto thee are spirit and they are life. The life is in the spirit, the flesh profits nothing. If they ate Jesus physically, what would be the profit? The life's in the spirit. Both parts have to be fed. The physical part and the spiritual part. When we eat physically, It's a profound thing when you think about it. It's no shallow thing. It goes very deep when you eat. Yesterday, when I was at home, I had some some rice. And that rice came into me. I took it in my mouth and I chewed it. I tasted it to see if it was good. Then after chewing it, I swallowed it. And after I swallowed it, it came into me. And when it came into me, it became me. It went from the top of my head to the bottom of my foot. That food went into the digestive system, and it was digested into my entire body. It went from the tip of this finger to the tip of this finger, and not one cell in my entire body that it did not reach. In fact, that rice was transformed literally into the living me. How? I don't know. God did it. But it was transformed into me. There's a great amount of truth in what you eat becomes you and you are what you eat. I mean, I'm more than rice, I know that. (laughs) But what we eat is transformed into the living us. And if we eat trash, if I eat 50 candy bars right now, tomorrow I'll be going to the dentist. I'll turn into trash. If you eat junk, you'll turn into junk. If you eat good food, it will transform to a healthy body, a healthy you. So it is with the physical body. So profound and intimate it is to who you are. But you're more than physics. You're spirit. My name is Don, and this is Don right here, Don Pataki. This is me. If you go see me down the street, you'd recognize me and say, that's Don Pataki there. But I'm more than this. Don Pataki is a spirit that lives in this body. The life is in the spirit. The flesh profits nothing. I find it very interesting. People who study to be doctors. You know, they can find every part of the human being except the human being himself. Can't find it. Why? He's a spirit. They don't know anything about spirits. They'll go in there with that scalpel. They'll find your heart. and They'll find, your, they'll find this artery. And they'll find everything that, that's physically there. They can find it. But the real you, they can't find it. Why? Because it's a spirit. Spirits are invisible. Where's the spirit? I'm not going to find it with his scalpel. It's not to be found. But the real you is living inside that flesh. Yet as they're trained in the university, none of this comes out. You know, you could take a an x-ray. Let's suppose that you had a problem in your head, and you had a headache all the time. And so you went to the doctor. You said, Doctor, I've got these headaches all the time. Something wrong in my head. And he said, well, let's take an x-ray. Okay. So they take an x-ray of your head. And during that time, you were thinking of a red car. So they take the x ray. The doctor comes back and he shows you the thing. He said, Here's here's your brain here, and this is this part, and that's that part, and the other part. You could say to him, Well, doctor, where's the red car? Red car? What are you talking about? Well, I know I was thinking of a red car when you took that x ray of my brain. Now, where is it on this x ray? We don't show the mind, we only show the brain. The life is in the spirit, the mind is spirit. The flesh profits nothing. Your thoughts, your conscience, those are spiritual. Those things need to be fed. They're very real. In fact, spirit is primary to reality. This building exists in cement and mortar. Very real, this pulpit. People say, I can believe in this. Real. But before this pulpit ever existed, it was in the mind of a person. The carpenter had to draw it out. He had to figure the plan. And then he put it in wood, so it's here. The same with this building. We are spiritual beings. And as the body needs to be fed, so the spirit needs to be fed. And the spirit needs Jesus. He said, except you eat my flesh, And drink my blood, you have no life in you. We can feed the spirit by words. The words that young people listen to affect them in their very emotions and in their beings. One time, I was in this gas station. And as I pulled in there and was putting gas in, this fellow came in, and he had his radio volume on extremely loud, and it was rock music. Tremendous volume. The whole gas station was rocking. (laughs) And he parked alongside, and he was gonna get out of his car. And I thought to myself, the guy that gets out of this car, I don't think he's gonna be your even keeled, level headed Mild mannered person. So the fellow gets out of the car, a young fellow, and he had hair down to about here, and he had this wildest looking face. He looked furious. He got out of that car, and you know, the music he was listening to was this boom. He got out of that car, and he's walking like this. Just like that music he was listening to. Why is that? He ate it. He took it into his mind and he chewed on it. He tasted it. He swallowed it into his being. And it went into his conscience. It went into his will. It went into his desires. It went into his heart and his soul. It sunk down into his hands and his feet. And he was bebopping all over the place. Because what you eat becomes you. Jesus said, except a man eat my flesh and drink my blood, he has no life in him. What was he saying? He was saying, eat me. Not physically. The words I speak unto you are spirit and they are life. Eat me spiritually Chew on me spiritually. Digest me spiritually. Take me in so that I come into your mind, your heart, your body, your soul, your life, your being, your intimate part. And I control every cell in your thinking. I control every belief in your mind so that I control your will and your way. Eat me. That's what he was saying. How do we eat Jesus today? Eat the Word of God. This is the flesh of Jesus today, the Bible, the manna that came down from heaven. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The flesh is not here anymore, but the Word is here. It's the Bible. We eat it. Jeremiah said, "My words were found, and I did eat them. And they were a joy and a rejoicing unto my heart. The Lord said to Ezekiel, Eat this scroll. Eat the word of God. Except a man eat my flesh and drink my blood, no life. We are to take Jesus into our inner being. He's our appetites. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Praise God, He's good. I love Him. And drink my blood take of His Spirit. The life is in the blood. The life is in the Spirit. The Word of God, the Holy Spirit, live on Jesus. Eternal life. That's what we have in Jesus Christ. I don't know how many of you are from Catholic backgrounds. I am. They used to tell us, well, this Wafer, they call it. This literally is Jesus Christ. And this cup, this literally, literally is Jesus. It's his blood. Very literally. I don't believe that. I was raised in the Catholic Church, but I don't believe that. No. Not now. Well, what does that mean anyway? How does that refer to this? Well, look, if that was Jesus Christ then I think we should take that cup and that bread and should be drinking it and eating it and drinking it and get as much of it and get as much Jesus as we can. Just drink all of that cup and eat all that bread you can. And I'll tell you, if you do that, you'll become a drunk glutton. <laughs> you know why? Because wine and it's bread. That's what it is. It's not Jesus. The idea behind that communion is when you take that in, it becomes you. Physically. And you think about the Lord Jesus at the same time in his death. And you take that in spiritually. What happened on the cross? I'm a Barnabas. I mean, I'm a uh, Barabbas and he took my place. I belong there. Jesus. Chew it up. Digest it. Take it in. Let it revolutionize your mind. Christ on the cross dying for his sheep. Oh God, what food for life. Jesus, as he's there on the cross, meditating on him as we take communion, that's what that wafer or that bread and that wine, that's the relationship of it. It's not that that's Jesus Christ. You know, in the Catholic Church, after it's all over and they have the rest, what's what's left over of the wine and of the bread, particularly the wine, it's liquid. They go to the kitchen and they pour it down the sink. Well, if that was Jesus, you'd just pour him down the sink. and He went out in the tubes into the sewer. Well, they realized that, so they came out with a hocus pocus. They do a little prayer, so it's not Jesus anymore. What kind of hocus pocus is this? First, they do this great big ceremony in the in the mass. The smoke is going up, the bells are ringing, and everybody's kneeling. And all of a sudden, this thing is converted into Jesus Christ. It's called the transubstantiation. But in the back, in the kitchen, after the service, they just say a little bit of prayer there, and it's not Jesus anymore. I call that untransubstantiation. (laughs) It's just a magic hoax. What is this? One time, I was on an airplane coming back from Mozambique and I got to sit next to a Catholic priest. What an opportunity I had. (laughs) I thought, boy, I'm gonna have some theological discussions with this guy. And we talked for hours, coming over the Atlantic Ocean. And I brought up all of these doctrines. What about Mariology? You know, she was a virgin. What about the the saints? And what about purgatory? Then we got to the communion. And I said to this priest, do you really believe that that wine is the blood of Jesus Christ? Do you really believe that that bread is the body, literally, literally, the body of Jesus Christ? Do you really believe that? He was a priest. And he said, no. (laughs) Well, I hope this guy's not still a Catholic priest. Because if he is, he's one of the biggest hypocrites that there are. Wow. Maybe he's a great evangelist somewhere today. I don't know. (laughs) But he just denied the very heart of the Catholic Mass. Well, I, I explained this whole thing like I was talking about today, about the communion to him. And he really listened and he said, No, I don't believe that's the wine. And he was just kind of sitting there, amazed. Praise the Lord. We've got the word. That's the flesh. That's the meat for you young people. This is what we eat. The word of God. This is what we need to take in. That other stuff is rubbish that's in the world. That stuff is awful for your soul. You'll turn into it. You young people, perhaps your parents told you about this. I don't know but. You know, we just didn't have the crime when I was young that we have today. There were no drugs in school when I was in school. Nobody was on drugs. It was completely different. We didn't have the thoughts that you have today, I don't think. Not in the same way. What you are digesting and eating by this worldly stuff will turn you into a child of the devil. Get off of it. Get away from it! Eat the Word of God! Live the Word of God! Be strong in the Word of God! Be agile in the Word of God! Be a witness in the Word of God! Stand on the Word of God! Have a foundation on the Word of God! Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. Jesus said that. The U.S. Constitution will pass away. The U.S. Supreme Court will pass away. The U.S. will pass away. But Jesus said, my word will never pass away. Take your stand on the word of God. Believe in the word. Parents, A picture is worth a thousand words. Teach by example. Boy, it's worth a lot, a picture. Who could explain it? As a picture can show it. I remember a brother in Mozambique. He converted. He used to drink. And, but still sometimes he drank. <laughs> And he gave this word in the church. He said, I still sometimes drank after I converted, after I believed, after I became a Christian. And he said, when I went to the refrigerator there and got a beer, my kids noticed it. And I felt conscious about it. I was a picture. They saw that picture. And they knew I was a hypocrite. You know your graduation picture from high school? If you have that thing, you can look back at it. You look at all the pictures. And when you look at those pictures, words come to your mind about that person. Oh, this guy here, yeah, he did the most for the school. Yeah, that's right. And this guy here, yeah, he done the school for, for the most. And He was not a good guy. This guy here, yeah, he was crooked. And this guy was that just a picture of you, people start thinking about what you are. We teach the Bible to our kids. Do we give them a good picture in our lives? I had the privilege, boy it was a privilege as I look back on it. I had the privilege of being raised in a family. With a mom and dad that never argued. They never argued. And they were not Christians. Can you imagine that? (laughs) That's hard to find among Christians. (laughs) Among us probably. (laughs) My mom and dad never argued. Wow. It still speaks to me. They weren't Christians, but they're still speaking to me. The Lord can work in strange ways. I had to go into real life out of that. But I often think of it, oh, boy, it was so great, you know. (laughs) Lots of arguments, even between Christians. (coughs) What an example they were. It happened because mom said this, when I was growing up, my parents always argued about everything. And so I decided when I grow up and get married, I'm never gonna argue. I just made that commitment to myself, for my family and for my husband. And she kept the promise to herself and to her family and to her husband. And she never argued. My dad was an argumentative type. I mean, he could argue. He was, he, was, he was a logical person, but he wasn't a Christian. And he wasn't a bad guy, I mean, in that type of, so to speak. He was a normal type person. But he could argue if you got on the wrong side of him. But he would never argue with my mom. Why? Because my mom would never argue. <laughs> you got to have two people to argue, and she would not argue. And I had the great privilege of being raised in a family like that. (laughs) I don't know all the answers, obviously. I'm not doing real well with my kids as teenagers right now. I get into arguments with them. And sometimes I throw up my hands and I don't know what to do. We raise them as Christians. And I often think of this verse train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And I'm mystified sometimes. In the scriptures, there was a prophet named Samuel. There's nary a word negative said about Samuel in scriptures. This man was a great prophet of God. His mother, Hannah, was barren and prayed that she would have a son. And with that son, she would dedicate him to the Lord's work. She prayed, and she prayed hard, and she prayed. Boy, what a mother she was. She was pregnant. Pray the Lord. She's pregnant. So she took the child and weaned him and brought him to the house of God. And he was put in the house of God as a young person and then From childhood up, he's in the house of God. And everybody knew in Israel from Dan to Beersheba that this was the prophet of Israel. Samuel, what a man of God. He walked with God. He talked with God. He was a man of the living God. He was with Eli. When Eli had all those troubles with his sons, he saw that from the inside. And then when he was older... He was going to make his two sons among the leaders there in Israel. And they were corrupt sons. And the people saw it. And they said, your sons don't walk in your ways. What a sad, sad thing. What happened? I don't know what happened. I have to think of one thing very clearly in my mind. There was a mother. We don't know anything about her. Samuel went out on circuits here and there, around the land. He was away from home a lot. I think those kids were with a mother an awful lot. I suspect that she didn't train them in the Bible. She didn't train them in the word of the Lord. She didn't train them in the things of the Lord. I don't know. That's what I suspect. And this godly man turned out with some ungodly boys. Heaven forbid. I hope that doesn't happen to you or to me, but that we train them up on the word of God. You know, the pastor that was at our church, he one time adopted two Two boys way back. I don't think any of of you knew those two boys. And he adopted them young. Him and his wife could not have children. And they raised them for some years. And he said to me, it was the hardest thing that ever I did. Nothing was more difficult. It was so hard. More than anything in my ministry. The kids went sour. And it happened to be that the original parents called for them to come back. And they went back. And so he ministered many years without those kids. I mean, he never saw them again. But those words that he said to me, it was the hardest thing that ever I did. I never went through anything anything so hard because they didn't walk with the Lord. After we were showing them all those things and had them in church and teaching them all the way. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. Maybe you're in that situation. I'd ask you prayers for me. I don't know what our kids are thinking all the time. I can't control them very well. And um, I'm just praying to God that in the end what we taught them in the beginning will come, will return, and that the Word of God will prevail in their lives. The children and the Bible. Eat it up. You young people, eat it up. This is life. Life, abundant life. Praise God. Living in this world, we've not seen anything yet. Wait till the kingdom. (laughs) What a great place. Forever, forever. For those who tasted and saw that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your grace. We thank you for your children. Thank you, Lord. They're wonderful. Happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. We pray for them, Lord, as they go into an ambient, an atmosphere now that is so vile, that has the prince of power of the air, On the air, every place, in the stores we go into, in the shops, and wherever we go, at home. He's there. He comes in, jumps the wall, comes in through the antenna. Oh, Lord, help us to train our children up in the word. Help us, Lord, to teach them the word of God, that they will prevail. In Jesus' name, amen.